Welcome back to the Relentless Minds podcast. I am your host, Lori Jimenez. I created this platform with a sole mission, and that is to inspire people of all backgrounds to create the change they wish to see in their lives and in the world by sharing the examples of those who are. As a listener, you will hear the stories of ordinary men and women with extraordinary stories of overcoming adversities in order to experience the life they dream of. All of these individuals share a common interest. They desire a change for the better, and they are in a relentless pursuit to create that for themselves. If you're looking for inspiration to overcome challenges in your own life, to create a life that you desire to have, then you have come to the right place. You see, the truth is, people everywhere are fighting for what they believe in, and together, with relentless action and mental strength, I have no doubt that we can fulfill that dream. In today's episode, you will hear the story of Lepalali and Melaji, two strong, hopeful individuals from Tanzania, Africa, that have had to face and overcome very trying challenges that could have been debilitating for many others. Lepalali had to face a complete lack of support from his family when he chose a life that was not the life he had been given and expected to follow. He wanted to pursue higher education and become a doctor, instead of tending cattle and becoming a warrior. A few years later, Lepalali met Malaji, a young albino boy who had been neglected and rejected by his family and community due to his albinism, and he decided to become a big part of Malaji's life to help him with the support he needed to survive and thrive. Please enjoy this episode as we dive into a different culture and learn about the challenges that many children and young dreamers in Eastern Africa face in their daily lives. Hi, Lepalali. I want to thank you so much for being here to share your story of growing up in the Maasai tribe and your journey to being where you are today, to going to the university um, and contributing back to your community in the ways that you're doing. Thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Lauren. Uh, as you pointed out, I am Lepilali Ngoilenya from Tanzania. I'm currently a university student pursuing my first degree in as, as a medical doctor. So I'm happy also to, to have you on call. I wanted to ask you, Lepalali, you mm-hmm. know, and you're a Maasai, you grew up in Africa. Yeah. Maasai is a tribe, you know, that inhabits yeah. areas of Kenya and Tanzania. Yeah. How was yeah. your life growing up in the Maasai tribe? Uh, growing in a Maasai family or community, it is kind of very complicated, uh, particularly on parenting. The way Maasai um, raise their kids, the way they train them. So, uh, for me, for me, I faced a very challenging life growing in that Maasai family. Um, one being that I had that big dream of going to school since I was young, but they were opposing what what I was dreaming of. So, they raised me in, that, in the way of becoming a warrior. So they not prepare me for school, they prepare me for becoming a warrior. And they prepare me to be a successor in a family. So they, I went through training, traditional training. So when I was like six years, six, seven, then they took me to uh, in a bush where we stay with kettles and warriors, but you won't see your mom. Uh, and that's the way they, they were training us, as they want to make us brave. So I stayed like um, three years in a bush, train, training me on how to to take care of kettles, how to take care of um, of family, and many trainings. So I grew in the way that I was kind of separated from um, mother care. So I not received that much care from my mom. And the other thing is, Maasai are so rude. I can say that. They are so rude to their kids. They they don't have that friend and that family friendship. They don't have that daddy, daddy daughter or daddy son friendship. They don't have that. So you'll be like growing in an environment that is very harsh. If you do something, they will beat you. They don't they don't excuse you. No excuse. So you'll be very careful doing things, and you you grow rude as well. The other thing that that does not go uh, when you grow in a uh, Maasai family is they teach you how to become someone who don't like women. That women are bad, women are weak, women cannot do this, women cannot do that. 
so you grow in them in the environment that you you hate your 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 young sister you hate your sisters and you think that they are weak they cannot do this they cannot um, go school they cannot become rich they cannot become uh, people with influence so that 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 how my they train their their family that how they raise kids you weren't trained or taught to care for education you were taught to care about being a warrior and about being a man and carrying on this legacy you were taught to dislike women i know that you're now doing a lot of activities involved with women and combating some tribal customs that are practiced specifically fgm which is female genital mutilation and child marriage and i want to get into those topics but i would first like to ask you when it came to um, you know your time growing up and being faced with these challenges of not having that support for education why was it that you still cared about pursuing education and what was it that was inspiring you or motivating you to to go after that in life what was motivating me the most to look the chance for me to get education one being because of the the family I grow we were so poor i can say absolutely poor and there was one family nearby our family they were not that much poor as we were but it is because they had one lady who was educated and again the other thing in i visited my uncle who had a radio i listened the former the late president of tanzania and he was like insisting people to go to school i asked my uncle what is the president talking and and he said he is insisting people to take kids to school and that was my stepping stone so i knew that there is school so i was hung of getting that education getting that chance to go to school for my family to be rich like the nearby family the other it is because i wanted my young sisters and my 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 oldest sister to to not be circumcised and i know that the only thing that will help me to save them is to get education because whoever educated in my family whoever educated in our community or in our society they are very respected so i wanted that respect i wanted to, to be someone who can talk and people listen so that pushed me a lot a lot to to seek chance to go to school what were some of the significant challenges though that you had to face to pursue this this life that was completely different from the life that your tribe and your parents were presenting in front of you did you have anybody else that was supporting your dreams i had no one who was supporting my dream of going to school i had no one despite the fact that my mom was not opposing me but she was not strong to stand and say okay this kid must go to school that because the position of a woman in maasai family is very very low so women they don't have voice so even my mom was not able to stand by my side and say hey lepilali you have to go to school so i had no one who was supporting me and i had a brother who actually uh, was not supporting me but was not again uh, opposing me and i had to uh, overcome a lot of challenges started fighting for me to go to school that made my daddy to hate me a lot i was like violating uh, a position of becoming a warrior now i learned I, i wanted to learn that western culture so my daddy so thought like now you are you are you are you are moving from becoming a warrior i prepared you to become a warrior for the past six years now you are moving from being a warrior you want to learn a western culture no 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 that that was very bad and it was it was it made me to to run away from home and went to stay with my my grand grand grandmother from my mother side so i ran away from home for six years and i went to stay uh, with my grandma mom and i told her that i have to go to school and she uh, she said yes fine you have to go to school but i am i'm worried that if you go to school and your daddy realize that you are in school that i might be in trouble so it took me a long time to convince her that i have to go to school the other challenge 
my peer uh, abandoned me and they don't recognize me as their peer they mocking me and they were bullying at me that now you don't want to become a warrior you don't want to stay in the bush and raise cattle and and and, and take care of cattle and become a strong warrior now you are going to school to become weak and then learn those stupid western cultures which does not take you anywhere so they abandoned me and so i was like alone by the moment now i i, I fought to get a chance to go to school yes then i was able to go to school uh, but the school is very was very far was very far so the moment i moved from from home where i stay with my grandmother to school is the the distance of like 10 or more kilometers moving a distance of 10 kilometers along the way you meet those warriors in a groups then they 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 beat me because i i, I was on i was wearing um, school uniform they found me wearing those clothes they they beat me like why are you wearing these clothes you are not supposed to wear these western western cultural things you are supposed to be in a warrior's uniform warrior's clothes why are you wearing this so it was very challenging for me to 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 go through that you know i'm very curious to know what made education like receiving education going to school what made that so important to you internally you know other than how you felt it would give you an opportunity for riches and wealth and a, a position of respect. But what did what did receiving that education mean to you? Um, that it made it worth going through the rejection of your family, the lack of support, the risk for beatings from your peers. Okay, so when I was a little boy, I, the way I thought education is actually I thought education like uh, being given knowledge, being given or uh, skills. That 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 the way I thought uh, education. And I thought receiving education means that you are going to be empowered on something you are not power on. You are going to 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 be given uh, skills. They will where you don't have skills and that 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 what i thought of education and it is real it is real that education is to be to to be empowered to be skilled but i thought that when i was a little boy and very little boy and uh, why why i thought that it is because i was training on cultural knowledge on cultural stuffs but still i was not confident still i was not able i was not able to stand and and talk to elders and i thought if i will get another chance of getting education probably i might be i might be confident i might get uh, skills i might get um, knowledge and I, I will be able to to speak so internally in my heart the way i define uh, education is like a power is like uh, another high, uh, higher step of being powered instead of being strong but being um, being power and confident and that's 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 why i was like looking and seeking and trying to find that that gap between what i know what i had and what is needed so i, I was trying to 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 fill the gap of of having um, skills, particularly in the education aspect. So that's an interesting spin. Um, if I'm understanding that correctly, you viewed education as your strength, as opposed to knowing how to wield a weapon and be a warrior, you were using knowledge and intellect to be your, your weapon of choice and everything that that would then allow you to achieve later on in life, um, including having a better future for yourself, for your family, um, having the respect from, from your family and your peers. You said that growing up, you were from a very poor family. How were you able to get through school financially? And what were some of the challenges you had to overcome there? It is true that I grew in a very poor family, a family that cannot make 
100 USDs per year. One, the, one of the reasons that made me to succeed on that, it is first because I had that willing of going to school and for me money was not a problem. So I started school standard one to standard four with no, with no formal uniform. Uh, yes, I had some clothes look like uniform, but not actually uniform. And I borrowed it from um, friends. I borrowed it from families who take their kids to school. So I borrowed from them. Um, if they buy new uniform to their kids, then I borrow the old, old uniform. So that that's how I, I went to school. But again, we had no fee for primary school. We don't have fee for primary schools in Tanzania. So it was a free education. You go to school, you just need to have your exercise books, you need to have your pen, you need to have your pencils, and then you go to school. When I was staying with my grandmother, I get a chance to do a local business. I can say it is a local business. So it's so like you go to someone farm who have already harvested all the crops, but there are some small, small remaining crops on the ground then it was like picking and collecting those small small crops beans maize then if you collect like one kilogram then you'll be able to exchange with people then they provide you exercise books they provide you pen then that the business i was doing i go to the farm i ask the owner of the farm that because you have harvested all the crops you have collected all the crops allow me to get into your farm and collect those small remaining crops then I will be able to, to sell again to you. Then you give me money. Then I, <clears throat> I get money for me to buy exercise books. I get money for me to buy pens. And it was tough moment again because if you collect enough, you, you sell to people, then the people again will, will might not give you money. So you'll be like going tomorrow, come tomorrow, I give you money, and then come the next day, I give you money. It is It was a very challenge. But I manage, I manage despite the fact that my family could not afford to provide me primary school education, just to provide me uniforms and exercise books. But I manage it, and I don't blame them uh, because they were not in a place, they were, they, were, they were not in a position to do so because they have to take care of us in terms of food and clothes and treatment, but they don't uh, have extra to take me to school. And again, they don't support school. If they could not be supporting school, at least they can do something for me, but they don't, they don't support me of going to school. Wow, Lepalali, you're absolutely incredible. And that's amazing to see that even though you had all of these obstacles, you didn't have the support of your parents and the money was could have been a lot of people could have seen that as a problem. You didn't view that as a problem yourself and you just look to find a solution. And that's very, very inspiring. I know that um, you came into contact with Asante Africa organization at some point that's how i actually discovered you and uh, i know that they were helping you through this journey to some extent um when was it that you came across asante africa and what did they do to help you to get further along in this journey i think to ask you of asante africa and just to say is not you know it's not to some extent it is to a huge extent I managed to finish standard school 2008 and I was I was able to get a good grade to go secondary school and on the process of me of me going getting to secondary school it was it was a really really tough time and because now imagine the family who was not able to to provide you uniform to go to primary school, a school where you don't pay fee. Now they are required to pay for your fee, which was like around 50 USD per year. Now imagine, imagine the family who was not able to provide you like less than five USDs for to get uniform. Now they are they are pushed to pay 50 USDs. It was a tough moment, and the family was not able. And by that time. Uh, my older brother was running a small business and now he realized that I have 
effort and I was a top class student in primary school and he was able to save some money and he was able to to pay him and to pay me to, to buy me uniform and small contribution for me to start uh, secondary school but he was not able to pay school fee which was around uh, 50 USDs for for a year so I, I went school I went to school I was selected to join and it was like that I met the patron of that of patron I mean student patron and I talked to him and I, I explained myself and I explained the background of my family my background my community and everything I share everything and I say but despite the fact that I don't have you I don't have a school fee but I need education I need to stay and study and I have uniforms, I have exercise books, I have pens. So I don't have somewhere to stay and I won't eat in school, but I will study. And say, how now, we, we can allow you to stay, we can allow you to, to use our classes to write your exercise books you have, but you won't sleep because you do not pay the place to sleep and you, you, you won't eat because you do not pay fee for food. How are you going to survive? It was actually, it was a kind of joke, but it, it was, it was it was paining to me. Then I say, it is fine. I will stay. I know I will survive. I'm strong to survive. <laughs> so he allowed me. He talked to a headmaster and they allowed me to stay. So I, I, I promised me. I lied. Actually, I lied. I, I, te- I told them that my brother told me that he will send money soon for to cover the fee. So I lied. And they say, okay, fine. You stay here, how, how long will it take for your brother to send the money? I say one month, then okay, it's fine, you stay. Yeah, nice. Then I stayed. So I stayed for that, that period of time they given me, one month, then it is over. They given me another one month, and then it is over again. Uh, another month, like three months, no money coming. And it is no money because they, my brother is he, not even planning to send it. So, of course, the school sent me back home, and I went back, and so I stayed home like one week. Then I went back to school and told them that I could not get money, and if you can provide me some time to stay, my brother will get money to pay you. And they allowed me to some sometimes, and later on, my brother sent half of the fee, and it was like six months already in school. It was difficult, it was really difficult, but I was able to finish that year. Then after that year now, is now where I met Asante Africa, 2010. And uh, the school announced that there are people who provide scholarship, so if you have good grade, if you have good performance, we will enroll you to the program, then you, 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 you write the letter and you apply for the scholarship. And I did, I applied for the scholarship, I went through the interview, I wrote the letter, I tell the stories, then Asante Africa provided me scholarship. It was really, really unbelievable that there is someone who is going to take care of my fee. They pay all fee from Form 1 to Form 4. They provide me school uniforms, uh, they provide me um, pocket money, books, stationaries, and everything. And top of that, they they enrolled me to the leadership and entrepreneurship trainings seminars. So I was attending seminars, I was attending leadership trainings, entrepreneurship trainings. Then I realized that, that I was missing in a lot of things because I had no a clear dream who I want to become in my life in the future. Then I, I realized that I wanted to become a doctor. And the reason why I wanted to become a doctor is because in our village, my grandmother was uh, a traditional healer. Those who provide traditional medi- medicine, they provide traditional medicine, they deliver women in the village. So my, my, my grandmother was doing that work. Then I wanted to become a doctor who can now do uh, modern medicine, not a traditional medicine. And that is that is through Asante Africa because I could not know that I someone called a doctor. It is just because of Santa Africa who trained me on uh, how to map a dream, how to develop your own dream.
Reason number two, um, because my mom, once when I was in primary school, my mom gets sick. She was admitted to the um, district hospital and <clears throat> she got miscarriage. She got miscarriage and she stayed like uh, one week in the hospital and he was like receiving intensive uh, care. So I was curious that how can I now come and prevent miscarriage to women because it was painful moment for me to see my mom is getting miscarriage. And it was not one, it had like three miscarriage uh, consecutively. And I, I was, I wanted to know exactly how, how this happened and how could I help uh, young women. So the Asante Africa organization truly helped you to find who it was that you were really meant to be. Also, the Asante Africa organization teaches the pay it forward principle, which calls you to help others in the same way that you also received help. Can you tell us the ways in which you have implemented this principle in your own life? So personally, I like the program of Pay Forward, and I took some initiative of creating some small projects that will help me to to do a Pay Forward. The first project I was doing, I was training uh, primary school kids, primary school uh, students from rural communities, and I was training them on on their dreams. You know, uh, in a village or in primary schools. Kids uh, don't have exposure to meet uh, different people in different careers. They just know teachers. They know teachers and few careers. Actually, they don't get exposure to know who who a doctor is, who is a nurse, who is an engineer, who is a pilot. So what I did, I went to six schools in a rural community, in, 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 rural, in rural primary schools. And started teaching them just uh, how can they map their dream, how can they develop their dreams, and aim higher. And I was giving them examples of who is a teacher, who is an engineer, and all so for them to know there that there are those people, there are those careers, they existing. So I have I did so in 2012, 2013, and 2014. So. I was doing I was doing for six schools. Later on, I scaled up the program to to reach ten schools by 2015, 2016, and 2017. And by 2018, I scaled up more to to include 15 schools. And later on, I went further to to accommodate 20 schools by 2018, 2019. And it was like a yearly program. Every year, I visited once. And provide the training. So not only me, but I had a team of um, 10, 10 youth who have skills. They are, they are university students, some are colleges, and some are from secondary schools. The other program, I decided to develop a program of menstrual hygiene management. And this was focusing to train adolescent girls on menstrual period and how to respond, how to maintain, and all cleanliness during the menstrual period. And again, I did to community, I mean to rural communities, to rural, to villages, and this is because this, those are marginalized areas, eh? those are areas where um, education is not that much, and people people don't, don't visit, and they don't have exposure, no TV, no radio, and I was training on how do they manage menstrual cramps, and how do they use sanity pads and how to dispose and how to change and so forth so it is a um, it's now a, a three years program then i started 2017 2018 and 2019 and i was able to cover 10 schools and some community and some rural community women who are not in school uh, by visiting them and and talk to them in groups and also sometimes talk via phone and more importantly sometimes talk via radio but not every time. The other group I did the menstrual hygiene management is secondary school students 
you know they don't also know much about the menstrual hygiene management so i visit secondary schools in in town and the other thing i did to pay it forward and to train the community on non-communicable diseases these non-communicable diseases um, i train on hypertension i train on diabetes cervical cancer for women and breast cancer both cervical cancer and breast cancer and i do to via um, two different methods the first one being the radio presentation so like every friday i visit a nearby host uh, nearby uh, radio in town and i will pick a topic particularly on this area on communicable diseases plus cervical cancer then i will present um, and i've been doing so for three years now no no so for two years sorry of all those I have one special program for female genital mutilation or some people call female uh, cutting. Now the reason why I developed the female genital mutilation uh, program is, and this is thoroughly for rural uh, villages, uh, particularly from a pastoralist community, and this here I'm talking of a Maasai community, the community where I am from. So this program is aiming to fight and finish a female genital mutilation which is which is actually torturing mm -hmm. psychological torture and also it's traumatic procedure so i started this program very early and i started when i was in secondary school 2014 uh, 2013-2014 and the reason why i developed this program female genital mutilation is because Oh, when I was young, I was about to, to to lose my sister, my oldest sister who was circumcised and was about to die, bleeding a lot. Was taken to the hospital and from the hospital was rescued, but actually she was about to die of of female genital mutilation. I had also um, my uncle daddy's, my uncle daughter who was about to die as well because of female genital cutting. And so that, those are two factors which motivated me to start this program in our Maasai community. And uh, was able to reach and talk because in this program, what I do, I talk with parents, I talk with elderly, I talk with um, seniors and juniors, and also I talk with uh, girls and I talk with boys. So if I talk with girls, I, I tell them to refuse. Then if I talk with boys, because the notion is that for Maasai boy, they won't agree to marry a girl who is not circumcised. So what I do, I tell the boys the, the effect they will encounter if the girl is circumcised. Like for example, difficulty in delivery, during delivery, rupture during delivery, bleeding during delivery, so forth. And also difficult labor. So I was successful actually to, to reach and talk to many people. And I can tell you in my village, in the village where I come from, they, they, don't, they don't do circumcision at all nowadays. If they do it, it is very, in a very secret way, but they don't do it openly as it was before. Wow, Epilali, this is absolutely amazing. All of these programs that you've been implementing and helping people through those programs you're really, really making a difference. And they're all really important programs too. The dream mapping, the menstrual hygiene management, the education on infections, and also the female genital mutilation uh, education that you're providing. Um, I wanted to ask you because I'm very curious to know when it comes to teaching people about new ideas and new concepts, how do you feel that they respond to that when it comes to the introduction of something new, of something that they didn't grow up knowing or understanding, and now you're providing this new way of thinking? I can say it, it is not easy to, to change people. It is, it is very difficult. And of course, when I started this program, it was, it was very, very, very tough. It was very difficult to tell someone uh, in a cultural setting uh, to stop FGM. It was very difficult, it was very changing, and people were not accepting at all. 
personally, it took me many years because I started the program 2012 and the program went all the way to 2019 now. And not not all people changed, particularly from the villages. Many, many, many are still have a static, static uh, mind. They don't agree, they have their own their ideologies. Uh, that's why I say um, in a district with more than 21 villages, I can only count three villages who have completely changed. They completely stopped doing uh, FGM from a, a, a district with uh, more than 21, 22 villages, only three. Despite the fact that I vi we, we visited all the district, um, all the villages within that district, but it's only three villages. You can see how people difficult to change. You show them uh, real examples, someone who fainted, someone who was to die, or someone who get complication during delivery because of FGM, but yet they don't believe, they don't change. You tell them that if you let kids go to schools, they can become someone in position, they can become people who can help you, can help their siblings, and they can show them examples, but they don't. They don't, they don't mind your examples, uh, but few will change. And now, what I'm trying to tell here is that we don't do um, this program like one year or two years, then you expect to see a huge change. You just provide the trainings, you just provide the advocacy, and you let them to have times to change because they cannot change abruptly. Now, three villages have stopped the uh, FGM. Remaining more than 15 villages have are still practicing, but not that not not that much. They have reduced. But I expect maybe by, by 10 years, these 15 villages have stopped completely to do a VGM. Not only that, even child marriage. Some villages have stopped through the advocacy and advice, but some are still practicing day and night. So dowry is not is not it's not easy. I cannot lie and say all of them now they are not doing FGM. No, they need time to change. They need to in their brain to digest the advice we are giving them. It is not easy as well for our primary kids to accept our training and change. Telling them to now start to develop uh, your dream of becoming a doctor and it is not easy but i i saw the program changing make them improve their performance in class because if you tell them you want to become a doctor now you need to work hard in science subject if you want to become an engineer you must work hard in uh, mathematics and you find them really really they are working hard now because they have, they have started aiming higher Ag again there are some villages who do doesn't want those training at all uh, but we are using an, a, a friendly approach. Uh, we use those elderly to, to train train few of them and tell them to go and talk to their fellow elders. Uh, yeah, they change. So if you can change one person, you go ahead and tell that individual to go and change another individual. Then at the end of the day, you find they have started change their, themselves. Then if you go now, you have people who are, are on your side within the same community. It's like you are dividing them. Yeah, but it took time. <laughs> Absolutely. I can definitely understand that these are huge changes in, in the community of the Maasai tribe and that implementing them in their own lives and letting their children live a different lifestyle than what they were exposed to. All of these things will take time. But what you're doing is great and you're sticking to it. And that's very important. When you said that it was difficult for children to dream, why do you think that is? So the first thing these kids are facing in, in dreaming or aiming higher is exposure. They don't have people uh, around them who are doctors, who are engineers. Or, hmm, they just have a teacher in a class. So they don't have, they don't meet people who can inspire them to become engineers, who can inspire them to become doctors or businessmen and women. And they don't have, and because they, it is in a 
village community, pastoralist community, in the Maasai community where people are not educated, people are just focusing on pastoralism. But the other thing which is really, really hindering them is uh, traditional teachings. Mm? You know, if you are go to school as a Maasai boy, they, they tell you, you must finish uh, standard seven and come back to get married and come back to marry and continue with grazing, uh, livestock keeping, and life will go. So the aim of taking them on to primary school, they just want them to, uh, they just take them to primary school because the government is, is forcing them to take kids to school. So these kids, when they join school, they have that mentality that I just need to grow here and study and finish standard seven and go back to be married and to marry and to continue with what and continue with grazing and so forth. For me, uh, it was a bit um, um, different because I was I was looking for exposure by then. I was looking for exposure. I was to, I, I I had time to talk with teachers. I had time to talk with whoever I met them on the way, and they have met to secondary school. I sit down and talk to them. I think the other thing what made me to aim higher it is because um, the the harsh or the tough environment I was I was risen and I want I, I wanted to not go back to those environments so I was seeking and I was fighting at least to go to go further uh, for studies when I meet a Sunday Africa and I participate in leadership programs now there I learn these programs and I learn how to map your dream and um, we met doctors who came to to advise, to advise us and engineers who came to advise us and many careers uh, tourism and business we met them and they advised us how to make to university if you won't make to university what will you be doing to at least to go back and and continue but if i could remain in a village and remain in the same schools and remain and I, I could be the same you mentioned something really really important and that is the exposure because it's very true you know these kids are not exposed to to anything other than what they know in their community growing up and so that's all they can hope to aspire to be but exposure is a big big key to growth and con being able to conceptualize different ideas and and different beliefs when it comes to Maleji, because you have been able to be a, this mentor and uh, this person in, in Maleji's life that introduces him to different ideas and to exposes him to, to different things where he can now dream to be more. Can you speak about Maleji because he is so important and what you're doing in his life to help him to get ahead um, and the current challenges that he's facing? as well. Uh, so thank you so much to, for asking about Meleji. So Meleji is a 14 years old boy, born and raised in a Maasai community in Monduli. And Meleji is the, the fifth kid in that family. And surprising that he is the only one born that family with albinism. So Meleji is an albino boy. My first time to meet him was 2013. And I met him when I was doing my paid forward uh, project under Santa Africa. And I met him when I was training uh, primary kids on their dream. And by then, by then I met I met him uh, when he was in standard three. And I met him in a school whereby all all students all students are having school uniform except him. And so I was, I was curious to know why is the only one kid, why Meleji the only one kid in this class with no uniform. So I did my training on dream mapping and hand washing. And after then, I wanted, I asked the teacher permission to to meet that that kid and talk. And I realized that he is a kid. He is a kid with, with what can I say? He was not a happy kid. Mm, that I can I can depict in a, in an easy way. He was not a happy kid. He was so quiet in the class, so shy in the class, and he was at the back benches, and 
he was not able to talk or face anyone he was like uh, when you talk to him and he was like looking down and i try to i try so hard to talk and interact to him um, and i used the Maasai language and talk to him and ask what is going on with his life and where is your family where is your father what are you doing uh, what is your father doing when were you born how old are you and, and i created a friend and i asked him to take a picture with me then i leave but when i on my way i had times like clicking on my mind this is a kid with albinism, he is not happy, he, is, uh, he was very depressed and I was curious to know the family. So I came back and again I got, I got a chance to go, to go to the same school in the next semester. And I asked why he is not having uniform and he said my father refused to provide me uniforms and my, my mom is not having money to buy me uniforms despite the fact she like me to be in school but she don't, don't she does not have money to buy me uniform and my daddy hate me a lot he used to beat me he used to provide me a lot of activities to do when i i'm off school so i know really the reason of him being so sad so i had uh, i had small amount of money who i was saving when i was a secondary school student so i decided to provide him with uniform and shoes and because he is an albino he is having skin cracking he is having difficult vision uh, so i decided to buy him uh, a sun protective glasses one hat for him to pro to be protected from uh, sun rays then i had no much then i i leave i leave him in the next year uh, i found him again the same school the same same condition um, uniform i bought him are now all the uniforms the school i mean the shoes are over and everything was old so i, I changed and uh, I, I i i bought him uh, another uniform so i asked him to take me to the family at least i talk with parents and he did he took me to the family i talked to father i talked to mother and the father responded like even even him being school i don't like for you coming here and buy uniform for my son i don't like it as well so it was challenging but i managed to talk with him uh, for like two hours and trying to explain uh, why you should not abandon this kid and say and he said i don't like this kid because i don't like the condition maybe this is a curse from god God is God has cast my family through him, and I don't like him. I actually, I just didn't need him to disappear in this family. I don't want to see him. And actually, that that father decided to abandon that kid completely. So the the kid was taken to stay with his uh, his uncle. So it it is a very long, long, long story uh, of him. But I was able to to make sure he is safe in terms of UV rays by providing sun protective glasses, by providing a heart and uniform throughout his studies. So after he graduated, he finished the standard 7 to 2017 then, I disappeared. I was not able to meet again with him. But in 2018, 2019 and the middle, I was able to visit the same village and I was going around asking where is Melaji, and I went. I went to the family, and his daddy refused to direct me where he is. But I, by asking neighbors, I was able to find him in in his uncle's house. And he was very sick. I can say he was very sick. He he cannot sit. He cannot stand as well. He cannot speak well. He was sick. He was having total body cracking, skin cracking all over the body, was leaking, oozing fluid, oozing pulse sometimes. He had a very severe curvature of the back. We call it in the medical terminology kyphosis. It was very severe. He had blindness on right eye, total blindness. He cannot see at all. And uh, many conditions he had. So what I did, I took him to the nearby hospital. Uh, he received minor treatment and after there i took him i transferred him to um, health center 
and he was as well treated and some some diagnosis and some investigation uh, but the skin cracking had been superimposed by uh, bacterial infections so he was treated bacterial infections he was um, uh, he was dressed the wounds he was given some fluids he was very wasted he improved he recovered a bit and I asked the family to provide me him to provide him to take him um, to to where I live at least for him to be nearby the whole big hospital to, for him to get treated so that's how I took my leg from that village to town here where now I'm I'm helping him on everything it was not easy as well for the family to provide me him to provide to allow me to take him here despite the fact that they have abandoned him but again it was not easy for 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 the family to allow me to take him to here so when i when i when i brought him here where i live now in moshi in a big hospital in the zone in the, it is a zone hospital and i decided to make to ask a small contribution from my friends from my lecturers and they contribute me a small amount of money like i can say like five five hundred usds so he stayed in the hospital like two weeks and he treated and recovered and after all the recovery all phases of recovery and he was like talking now and he explained to me the torture he was receiving from the father explained to me the difficulties of life in the family the way kids in the same same school were abandoning him bullying at him peeling the skin um he so he, he suffered a lot not only from his father but also from the uh, um, surrounding community they, they used it to abandon him in every aspect he was abandoned he had no friend he had no people to play with he, he also he was like living as an, a single individual living in, a, in just one planet of course Meleji was not able to perform uh, to get a good grade for him to join secondary school according to the national guidelines but he, he, he when when he recovered now here he told me the reason why he was not able to meet the grade and he told me that he he was not able to meet the grade because he had blindness one eye he was not able to focus on reading and he had reduced division uh, so reading was very difficult for him because he had no uh, specialized device for an albino to be able to read uh, normal writings so that that was the reason for him to score a low grade and what I did, um, I moved around to ask the special school for albinos for him to start. And fortunately, I got one school, and he has just joined the uh, pre-form one program in the special school for albinism. Now he is having um, reading device aids, uh, magnificent machine, and all those devices needed for albino to be to to read and to to focus. Now he's a happy kid. He's now having a big dream of becoming a doctor in the future. Yeah, he's happy. He's well now. The body and health is improving. Yeah. Wow. So Maleji right now, he is in school. And I'm happy to hear that his health is improving and that his spirits are uplifted. But has his family come around to now support him um, in school and with everything that he's trying to do for himself? For the first two weeks, when I took Meleji from the village to here, I have never received any call from the family or from his father or from his mother uh, asking of him. But for as time goes, I have received some calls from the father asking the improvement of his son, and he promised me that he will visit him in the hospital, uh, and as well as um, the mother called and say the same and uh, some, no, the family now is coming close, uh, closer closer to Meleji despite the fact that the family have, have, have not provided any, any, any financial support I can say but they are coming at least close to their son and, and this is because I took time to explain the, the biological reason for someone who is normal to get an albino 
and the father was very resistant of my concept but as time goes he is he is now understanding that it is possible for them to have an albino despite the fact that they are normal and uh, i visit i do visit him like every weekend and talk to him he is really improving he is not shy as as he was he is making friends he is directing now not that much but he is improving when he compared to the to the previous time i, I am sure he will improve more as time goes that's wonderful that malaji's family is finally coming around when it comes to malaji's health is there any other treatment that he needs Melaji have been diagnosed to have severe kyphosis to have um loss of vision by one eye right eye so right eye is gone and he is he is having a severe cracking of the skin which is putting him on the risk of uh, carcinoma or cancer so we are planning to treat him at divinity treatment by next month starting with a surgery of the spine to correct the spine to correct that curvature because the curvature is putting him on the risk of not him being able to breathe well um and he, he is not able to stand straight or to sit uh, he he leaning forward the orthopedic surgeon will will see him on 7th or december to do the surgery and the, he will visit the dermatologist for the skin treatment and again he will visit the ophthalmologist to get treated the eye which is working because the one the one which has gone it is gone but uh, we don't have money personally i don't have money to help him so i created the go fund me campaign online and we are real i am really asking people to support him by donating anything they have and our target is to raise 10000 usds that will cover full treatment together with care for him by providing him with insurance and health insurance and skin care and all costs that will relate to his health and again he will be able to take care of his uh, his studies so uh, kindly asking anyone who will listen this audio please if you have something to support him please support him share our go fund me campaign to friends to families to whoever you know and tell the story and at least we will help to uh, to treat him for him to realize his big dream of becoming a doctor to help others thank you for sharing melaji's story with us lapalali i will be sure to share melaji's go funny page on relentless minds to hopefully gain enough support to help melaji with his treatment and so that he can continue to to receive the services that he needs to get better i wanted to ask you this question lapalali and it's in regarding to this quote that we have of you where you said we all have this giant dream that wakes us from our sleep what is that giant dream for you i agree that we all have that big dream which make us wake up um, during sleep and for me my big dream is to become a cardiologist in making currently i'm studying uh, medicine but um, my big dream is to to help people to help my community in term of health but again uh, in term of cultural transformation that have been um, bounding us uh, from aiming higher that's a wonderful dream and we at relentless minds we support you in that is there anything else that you would like to say to finish off this interview any final words that you would like to say to the audience thanks so much lauri for an interview um i'm so happy that um we had time to to talk and what i can say to anyone uh, i i like i like one quotation from mother teresa say if you cannot feed uh, 100 people uh, then just feed one and that have been a motivating uh, quote for me that uh, i am not capable of helping many people i am not capable of providing uh, support for million of people because my personal i need help but at least each year i touch uh, one one person not necessarily material and even um, knowledge awareness so if we cannot provide millions uh, uh, treatment let us just provide uh, melaji uh, treatment for him to realize his dream for him to feel loved 
for him to feel like he's a person among people because he was at the point of seeing like he was born accidentally that he was not required to live that he is like regretting of being in this planet so let us touch in a positive way his life and make him happy and make Thank him you feel so like uh, the world is a better episode. place for him to live. If you enjoyed it and feel inspired Thank and you would so like much to be a part of the Relentless Minds community, your story you can join the movement for change on Instagram and Twitter. We would also love to know how your experience has been as a listener. If you haven't yet, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, in your community. rate, and review this You're podcast. Doing a wonderful job join us next week for another powerful story. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Thank you so much for being a loyal listener of the Relentless Minds podcast. I hope that you enjoyed and appreciated this interview with Lepolali. He is an incredible example of resilience and commitment to a better future. The next interview and episode on Relentless Minds will be launched in two weeks. Until then, have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you.